The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. With the new iPhone SE for less than 100 bucks at Metro, you rule. It's the most affordable iPhone on the number one brand in prepaid. So whether you're studying online or FaceTiming. Hey, Mom. Hi, dear. The iPhone SE has all you need. Switch to Metro and get the iPhone SE for $99.99 after rebate redemption and six months of service with AutoPay. Metro by T-Mobile. Rule your day. Limit one per account slash household. Requires port and ID validation. Not valid for numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Restrictions apply. See store for details. The February 7th edition of the PFF forecast. The first post-football forecast. I was still in the Super Bowl mood. Now I'm in the AAF mood. Now it's over. Anyways, we've got Sign of the Apocalypse, Unstable Stat of the Week. Makes a nice return. AAF. And then we start team recaps off with the number one pick in the Arizona Cardinals. Let's rock. All righty. Um, nice new like off-season docket here. We're going to dive into some draft stuff we're going to do some season recap stuff return of some of the different components of the podcast that we came up with when we were trying <laughs> to make things interesting during the off season so the first is the sign of the apocalypse Oof. this is an old sports for anyone that's new and used to read sports illustrated back in the day and they had this section that was sign of the apocalypse and the idea was like it was some crazy thing you know that was unbelievable so we have a nice sign of the apocalypse and, here, and courtesy, boy, is it ever. courtesy of someone named Brock, which is always a good thing. Yeah, Brock Heward at Brock ESPN tweeted day after the Super Bowl or day, night of the Super Bowl, run to win. Every playoff game this season and another Super Bowl goes to the team that outrushes its opponent. See, and, wait, hold on. I, sp- I see no lies. <laughs> And of course, he gets called on the correlation versus causation immediately. By the way, it's I, like the no, it's like the first <laughs> comment is like, "Bro, you've got to figure this out." And frankly, when you are a bad quarterback, like you kind of do want to like create a universe in which that could get covered up. Ooh, I so I do understand like Brock's you know wishing for this not to be. Can a, I read the next tweet? Yeah. So somebody named E Greenlaw Nine basically was like. I think you're mixing up correlation and cause. You're mixing up X and Y, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, Brock, he responded with, this is great. There's a correlation, a causation, a humiliation, and a nation that watched the greatest quarterback slash head coach to ever exist in the NFL win their sixth. They ran on first. They ran into stacked boxes. And with four to go, they ran on every down, even when the Rams knew they were going to run. They ran to win well except on that fourth down they had to settle for three because they didn't actually except on the fourth down convert except their biggest play of the game <laughs> to rob gronkowski except the two plays before that that were passes except the play before that which was also a they pass. literally only scored on a touchdown on one drive and on that drive <laughs> the only run play was the two yards to get the touchdown that was that's amazing so they score you know, they score 13 points. The only touchdown they have, of course, as you mentioned, is right there. And then the flip side of it is that 13 points wins you like no games unless 
you dominate the other team's quarterback and their passing game well, and, is totally inefficient. And what I don't get is, so Brock here mentions that it's the greatest head coach and quarterback to ever exist. Right, right. Winning their <laughs> sixth. So he, he makes no mention of like J.R. Redman, Corey Dillon at the end of his career, Lawrence Maroney. Bryn Bolden. Uh, what's his? Not Marshall Falk. Kevin Falk. Kevin Falk. They, he makes no mention of uh, Brandon Bolden. Kevin uh, Falk was great. LeGarrette, LeGarrette Blunt, Blunt. Off the street because of a blunt, frankly. What's great about this whole thing, though, is there are enough people that are going to believe this narrative. Yep. They ran to win. And then here's the best part. They picked a running back in the, the first round. You know who else did? The Seahawks. Best rushing offense in the NFL, the Seahawks, all because of Rashad Penny and the great things that he brought Giants, to their run Giants, blocking. Giants improved a full two wins this year. Amazing. Yeah. And it had nothing to do with Odell Beckham Jr. coming back or them getting rid of a trend, generational, transcendent coach in he Mr. Is, McAdoo. Yeah, yeah. It had nothing to do with those things. It was all because of Saquon Barkley, who, by the way... I have to say this every time because I feel like people don't get it. He was amazing. Yeah. He's fantastic. He's a ridiculous athlete. It's simply we're talking about the things that are valuable and how much a running back actually can contribute to that. So much of value in the run game is dictated by simply your situation, your personnel, the personnel you're facing, and most importantly, when it comes to performance, the ability to run block. Yep. If you are trying to predict... How well someone can run the ball, those things and are we, more and important. And there's an article up on the website. It'll be coming up tomorrow, basically talking about this. And I think after that's done, I think we are going to probably stop the run. Like, there are other fun things to discuss this offseason that I think are a little bit more nuanced, a little bit. You think so? Well, like. Yeah, I'm, I'm kidding. Pass rushing versus coverage. Like, I mean, that was on display all offseason. The Chiefs. We had talked the about that a lot last Best. Last year pass rush in the NFL couldn't stop the Patriots because you can mitigate that Rams couldn't hide from Stefan Gilmore at all the other day even in a play where the Patriots screwed up a coverage Jason McCourty came back uh, and a guy that they acquired in the offseason I mean Patriots are you know uh, yeah, they exude a lot of the things that we I think have found statistically so um, let's yeah so sorry I, it's you know the NBA trade deadline I'm of course a Lakers fan and a Niners fan, weirdly, but I have a reason for it, and at least I'm not a fan of multiple teams like you. And I'm not an annoying Lakers well, fan. I'm not a Kobe stan. I'm not irrational. Can you can you answer? Do I actually like the Vikings? That's a difficult. <laughs> so like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, the reasoning is is sound. Okay. Um, cool. So that so that's uh, the sign of the apocalypse. Unstable stat. Of the week. Despite the signs of the apocalypse, we have not ha yet had one, and we went through a whole football season, so I have some faith here. There are many signs, though. Unstable stat of the week is uh, basically us bringing up something that is potentially impressive, but not stable. And what we mean by that is if you're trying to use its previous value to predict how it will do in the future you are going to have a real tough, rude awakening in your future because it's something that is very volatile. And so some of these will be familiar. Well, and, not, and not only that, but when somebody performs out of their norm, it's the first place to look as to why. Yes. 
So Carson Palmer, 15, for example. Yes. And uh, some of these will be a replay of a stat, but we're going to try and spin it forward. So, like, these are guys that are candidates for aggression and add a few layers to it. So unstable stat of the week is pass rating under pressure. It's the least stable thing for quarterbacks. For one, it's passer rating, which is garbage. And for two, it's under pressure. So if you're looking at things that matter under pressure there aren't many pff grade is about twice as stable compared to pass rating and the reason for that is sacks obviously and runs are not incorporated in pass rating so pass rating is garbage that's the first thing deshaun watson is first 88.2 dak second 87.1 matt ryan russell wilson both at 86 led pass rating under pressure very impressive numbers unfortunately i wouldn't bet on those things happening and this is i thought really interesting None of those guys were in the top 15 at avoiding negatively graded plays under pressure, which is actually far more stable. It's the most stable component of grading, avoiding negative plays. So what that tells you is a lot of sacks not being incorporated here, and then a lot of plays where, look, the quarterback didn't necessarily do what caused that play to be successful. Well, you can point that out, and just looking at them anecdotally, Watson had the best non-quarterback in the NFL to throw to, right? So a lot of those plays, you know, you put pressure on Watson. He's possibly single covered. He's going to beat single coverage. Dak had, you know, great, you know, Mari Cooper had a lot of yards after the catch on some of those back-breaking plays. Wilson, receivers, you know, contested catches were pretty, pretty good at that this year. So, again, a lot of those things make sense. Matt Ryan had sort of a weird season as two uh, Falcons. Really strange, right? I would note. Uh, Just one thing, PFFQB annual on the website right now. That's where you can get all the sort of stability metrics for these things. A great resource. But again, that's a great find by you, I think, in terms of looking at passer rating being overrated as a stat, especially in situations where a sack. So passer rating when clean isn't the worst thing in the world compared to this because the sack isn't necessarily in play. Sack and play here, that's how you see a big difference between grade uh, and passer rating. Well, your boy, the reason I put this in here is because I wanted to make you feel better about your tough loss. And the guy who had the highest grade, who avoided negatively graded plays, had the best EPA and the best yards per play under pressure, all Pat Mahomes. Too, ba- too much of a gunslinger, though. I don't right. trust him. Well, his passing under pressure is not high. He's got a lot of interceptions, right? Not necessarily all his fault. Um, and I, don't then, tr- I don't trust him. He's too much of a gunslinger. And he just didn't take sacks, which are hugely valuable. The ability to not fumble and not sack, incredibly underrated. All right, next up, we've got AAF Futures. So I am going to try very hard to do two things. Number one is to care more about the players in the draft. Going to try. Generally, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that you accumulate <laughs> lots of draft picks and then throw darts. However, you should you know pick the board at which you throw at wisely. The other thing is that I'm going to try and jump on board with this AAF stuff. So your job is to sell me on the AAF. What does it even stand for? You did a great job during the college season of every once in a while asking me, who do you like in this game? Because I know, you know college football is something you're not, a, and I frankly wasn't until I, I started working here. The AAF is going to be a lot tougher because if you're not a college football fan, right? So, like, if you're an LSU fan, like, the, the opportunity to watch Zach Mettenberger play is, like, what brings you here, right? Or if you're a, a you know, Penn State fan, 
Christian Hackenberg if he were to play, um, you know, so on and so forth. So that's really like I think the draw. Is Hackenberg starting? Well, that's the thing. Mettenberger and Hack and, and are they Met- just going to split? They should just split. I'm going to call right? it the Metten the Mettenberg. But they're like they're competing for a job in Memphis. You know, you have guys like Trevor Knight, Aaron Murray, former. Uh, I believe Georgia quarterback drafted by Kansas City. He's playing for Atlanta. Trevor um, Knight, right? Arizona. Yeah. Is he Oklahoma? I believe so. Yeah. So, so a lot of these guys. So, I think that's the appeal. If you're a college football fan, you get to see some of these guys that you rooted for or rooted against mm-hmm. come back and play. Um, for us in the analytics world, what this offers is an opportunity to sort of build models basically from scratch, right? So the only information that we have about this league is basically how the guys graded in certain facets. So, for example, you know, uh, Mike, Ben Brown, our colleague, and, and, and me looked a little bit at looking at grades at the preseason. So we have preseason grades. We also have college grades. We also have pro grades. Trying to weight them a little bit and look at how, uh, you know, some of these teams stack out in terms of quarterback, how to weigh those. Um, and we do get some interesting things because, for example, if you go to, uh, you know, my bookie or uh, bet online, you actually can look at AF futures. And that's going to be another thing. We use the futures market in our, in our NFL model. We'll use this here in the AF. The Arizona Hotshots, George. That is a name right there. At plus 250 are currently the favorite to win the, the inaugural AAF title. Man, can't wait. But if you look at their PFF grades, they are, the, they are only one of two, two teams where the composite score that we gave them based upon their college grades and their NFL grades at PFF have a negative PFF grade. So I don't have a ton to say definitively about this, but one thing I would caution you against is betting on the a, the futures with trevor knight uh and the arizona hot shots the arizona hot shots plus 250 the favorite to win the aaf world championship the salt lake stallions at 400 uh, plus 400 the san antonio commanders plus 500 the orlando apollos atlanta legends also plus 500 and then the san diego fleet memphis express and birmingham iron are you going to pick a team to root Plus for, George? Uh, I will go, obviously, with the only California team. Also, because Mike Bercovici is the quarterback for San Diego. And of all of these guys playing, he would be the one that I would want. I am also going to root for the San Diego fleet, given that there's no Cincinnati Chili's yet. <laughs> and, uh, and San Diego is the best of these cities by a mile. Ooh. I mean, I agree with you. I'm thinking of which one has the best beef. Salt Lake. Salt Lake is a very, pr- very underrated. U- Utah is very pretty, especially Salt that Lake part. Salt Lake is great. Arizona, is that Scottsdale? I would imagine Phoenix, Phoenix yeah. I would imagine Phoenix. Um, San Antonio has, its, has, has okay, things going for it, now you're really too, reaching. Orlando, Atlanta's great, but the weather is not Memphis definitely not winning this one, and neither is Birmingham. It's San Diego by a mile. I think that Salt Lake is actually the second. I, I don't even actually think that that's really close. Salt Lake's beautiful. It's just the fact well, that yeah, San you Diego. You like cold weather. You're wearing a sweater in here just to pretend it's cold. Yeah. Beautiful sweater, by the way. All the mathematician sweaters came out this Jesus. week. Jesus. 
unpacking. Yeah. So, I mean, and and currently there are no lines available for week one. There are two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. Yeah, where can we watch these? They're on CBS, right? One uh, Saturday games are on CBS. I believe the Sunday games are on CBS Sports Network and NFL Network. So uh, we're going to be grading. Um, PFF will be great. We will games, have content on, on the, on the games. If you have a, an elite subscription, if you don't, you're blowing it. it. The quarterback annual worth its weight in gold. You get to obviously do all of your research for the upcoming NFL season. You want to get started yeah. and your fantasy seasons because, you know, that's important. Draft guides. Those all this guides, stuff. All is, this stuff. is the time to get it because you then get a year's worth. So you actually get like next year's stuff too so um you should make it happen but we'll have and football season shows up and you don't have to buy it it's already there we'll have data on uh the aaf so you can get really excited about it because really at this point if you're not a basketball fan your only choice is golf and hockey you forgot about hockey i did not forget about hockey (laughs) (laughs) actually i like hockey it's um once the stanley cup starts that's great i'll watch golf if tiger's playing or it's a major and, you know, it's like someone that I know is winning. I will watch basketball if it's a compelling matchup or the playoffs. And pro because colleges, oh, colleges. are horrible. I was going to use the A word, but I'm not. Yeah. All right. Uh, that was your AAF preview. Congratulations. Follow at PFF underscore Eric for all your AAF content. <laughs> we move on now to... The first team review, and we're going to do this more of a forward-looking thing because, uh, well, quite frankly, you don't want to look back at the Arizona Cardinals season. We're going to go in order of draft position. We're going to start out probably first five teams. We'll see how this one goes. Um, We'll go just one team at a time because there's more to talk about from a they-need-to-rebuild standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, And then maybe once we get more into the later picks, we'll double them up. Um, so the Cardinals went 3-13 and last season. It was a disaster season. Steve Wilkes got fired, obviously. They replaced him with Cliff Kingsbury. What's interesting about this is that it wasn't... This kind of caught us off guard. Yeah. Well, I think going into the season, so we had a, a projection of them. You can go back and look. Uh, 7.16 wins. Their Vegas over-under was 5.5. And, and, you know, obviously we missed this one. We didn't give it out as a pick or anything so i think that we were a little bit nervous about steve wilkes transitioning them from the three four with a lot of blitzing to and a lot of man coverage into a four three with a lot of zone we saw that materialize a little bit their defense wasn't clearly the worst part about their team but um you saw like hassan reddick have a difficult time dayon buchanan have a difficult time patrick peterson wasn't nearly the playmaker that he could be you know in a man scheme and so their defense wasn't great in their offense you know, Another uh, time to use the A word. Mike McCoy was dead last in our coaching metric by the time he got to fired. Planned Parenthood. I mean, it was disastrous from an offensive standpoint. They couldn't pass protect. It was, you know, what it was reminiscent of really was the Rams with Jeff Fisher in Goff's first year. And I want to talk. We'll talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Cliff Kingsbury coming in. I, of course, was a huge proponent of them signing Cliff Kingsbury. As I explained before, the Cardinals are never going to be the number one job in the NFL for the foreseeable future. So what are you going to do? Settle for the fifth best guy or take a swing at someone who, if he is successful as an offensive coordinator next year, will be the number one guy and you will have no shot at him. That's right. So you take this chance and you've got a young quarterback who there's no way Josh Rosen is that bad. I mean, he got we'll get into some of the finer 
uh, data points. But here's the math that I want to do. Three and 13 is bad. Yes. Josh Rosen was two wins below replacement level. Mm-hmm. It was a really bad season for him. And I think we'll talk about, obviously, as I said, some of the things that made it that case. So if you just get a replacement level quarterback in there, okay, they're 5-11. and 11. Now, you assume Josh Rosen is maybe a little above average. Sam Bradford, a little above average. Well, that, was, that was our projection, was Bradford would be slightly above average. And their defense, somewhat middle of the pack. Their yeah. defense a little bit below average. And then all of a sudden, you get to 6-10, and 7-9. and nine. Yeah. So I, I don't think, despite the number of wins being off, that, there were some things that well, really shot it down. And they quickly. lost by a field goal at home to Seattle. They lost a close game against San Francisco. So we were 2-0 and picking their games. First one was plus 5.5 against Chicago. They had a 14-point lead against the right. Bears in Week 3 and then lost by 3. Um, they, they were plus 4 at San Francisco. We had them in that game. They, lost, they, you know, they swept the Niners, which is kind of weird. Um, but they had some close games. They you know had some that games. Is, that were, that's Kyle Shanahan <laughs> making it happen. elegant tank. Um, but ultimately, you know, when your offense is 32nd in EPA, is that good? 32nd in passing EPA, 29th in rushing EPA, you're not going to do much. They didn't use David Johnson very well as nope. a receiver out of the backfield. He used to be PFF's uh, receiver of the year. So just a huge mess. They did have some bright spots. Patrick Peterson. Larry Fitzgerald, Josh Bynes, Trey Boston, Christian Kirk, Chandler Jones were all plus players in terms of war, but they had far more least valuable players. Obviously, Rosen Bradford was almost a full win below replacement in just three games. Uh, Ricky Seals-Jones, Chad Williams, Mason Cole, Jamar Taylor, all players players. that were causing them to struggle. uh, And a lot of that, yeah, Chad Williams in the passing game, Jamar Taylor on the defensive side in the passing game was eventually was replaced, I believe, by David Amerson, who wasn't even good enough to make the Chiefs defense this year. So um, it was just an all-around tough year. I feel sort of bad for... Uh, for Steve Wilkes just getting a one-year opportunity. But I think uh, if you're a Cardinals fan, the Kingsbury, uh, Clement, Joseph, Trio, in terms of head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, should give you a little bit of uh, a hope for the future. Yeah, I feel bad for Wilkes too, but hiring Mike McCoy is a fireable offense. Yep. The um, fact that they were last and fourth down decision-making is hilarious. Like, you're a bad team, just go for it. What What is your... Yeah, they only they only went for? for it, and so they had twenty eight instances where going for it on fourth down was likely the good yeah. decision, and they went for it four times. Um, Cost they, them eleven expected points added. That is almost won a game. Unreal. So um, a few of the things that that happened here that were okay. Josh Rosen, maybe it's not you know he played bad, but what are some other things that were sort of debilitating? For him, and the first is he threw into tight coverage ten percent more often than the league average. By the way, you can grab that in the quarterback annual. Um, that's terrible because open throws, throws with a step or more of separation, basically double your expected output compared to tight window throws. So you don't want to make more of those than you have to. So whether that was him or the scheme, it's up for debate. But I think certainly, given Mike McCoy's history, that you know you might want to throw some of that on him. Um, and their scheme throws, you know, screens, um, uh, you know, quick game stuff, uh, it generated almost five times more negative EPA per play than the league average. Really brutal stuff. Um, and so to me, 
I'm not going to sell Rosen immediately. I think there are some things that speak to maybe it falling on McCoy. Yeah, and and even then, like when plays were schemed open, you know, twenty one of Rosen's twenty two of Rosen's passes were dropped. That five point six percent—that's top ten mark in the league. So you, he wasn't getting help in a lot of you know his early games. I remember against Seattle, uh, that was the case. He made a, a lot of really good throws, and in and in that case. Uh, you know, it just didn't work out. He he had to throw the ball away 26 times, which was, again, a top, basically, you know, top 10 uh, mark. So just not a great offense. Um, but, you know, when we've been doing some of our projections for the for the draft, um, you know, look back and say, well, he was also under pressure an inordinate amount of time. Um, over 40 percent. Over 40 percent. League average is roughly about 33 percent. So what we can do is kind of go back and say, OK, well, let's give him a league average pressure rate and see how he would have performed. And in that case, you're going to get much more of an average to above average quarterback in that situation, depending upon how you look. You know, some comps for him, uh, you know, Alex Smith, you think about that, you know, uh, Dak Prescott, maybe even Carson Wentz on sort of the upper end, Philip Rivers on the upper end. That's that takes you from negative two wins above replacement to that two, three range. Right. And then now you're talking about a team that's kind of in the middle of the pack. You add some you add some skill position players to that mix. That's a team that can be pretty good. The pressure numbers are not all created equal either. So you look at a guy like. Um, you know, Wilson, Watson, yeah. guys that generally have confidence in their ability to escape. So they'll, you know, they'll wait for pressure and then they'll, they'll escape it. Rosen is not one of those guys. He was under pressure in large part because their offensive line was hot garbage. Yeah. Led the NFL in pressures faced in less than two and a half seconds. 27% of his dropbacks, he had pressure in his face in under 2.5 seconds. There's not a lot that Josh Rosen is going to be able to do from that situation. You mentioned the drop passes. 11% of his positively graded throws were dropped. I mean, you can't which have Which is that. tied for fifth. And, it, it, I mean, it's, it's amazing. The list goes on. He... <laughs> Uh, he's one of five quarterbacks to grade negatively on quick throws from a clean pocket. So basically, I was trying to get like a set of throws where yeah. it's like, okay, optimal situation. This list is hilarious. It's Tannehill, Lamar Jackson, Jeff Driscoll, Brock Osweiler, and Blaine Gabbert. He had a 67.4 passer rating in throwing under two and a half seconds. That was basically the same exact passer rating he had throwing in 2.6 seconds or more. As you said, that his average time to throw middle of the pack basically 16th dead smack in the middle of the league and yet he still had all those pressure numbers offense i i struggle to think of an offensive line other than houston that gave their quarterback as much of a of a you know shit sandwich than that right so here this is the question you've got it's not hard to do two things the first is to say okay i saw what jared goff did with jeff fisher he was dropping 50 yards back and just getting pummeled McVay comes in, he changes the scheme of the offense, they get a couple of offensive linemen that can actually block, all of a sudden you now have an offense that's protection-based, you're maximizing the number of clean pockets, you have a screen game. This was also hilarious. <laughs> Rosen more than doubled the negative grade rate on screens <laughs> yeah. of, the, of the next worst guy, but he was also under pressure on over 15% of his screen passes, which right. is the league high too. You, you just wonder like about how... And we have to test this, I think, systematically. But how how much being under pressure affects you in the entirety of your game? Because it's clear that once you start seeing ghosts, 
it doesn't actually matter whether or not the pressure or whether you're trying. Like, remember Nick Foles? They were talking about Nick Foles when he got to Kansas City, could barely throw a swing pass because right. he had been so mind, you know, screwed by by his situation. You just often just have to rehabilitate, and I and I'm guessing Cliff Kingsbury able to do that, you know, in terms of rehabilitating his mind and getting him ready to play the quarterback position. Right. It's very it. it there are certain quarterbacks where they play from a clean pocket when they play from a clean pocket a lot of the time they're just throwing before they get hit with pressure yeah so but the sam bradford in 2016 was the same was the same one with minnesota you that's where you have to be careful about using time to throw pressure rates and everything because oftentimes it's even worse than that you know and so uh, so here's the the second part of that so you can believe in the jared goff narrative kingsbury comes in you make these changes, you turn Josh Rosen around. Or you can say, look, <laughs> we are saddled with a suboptimal offensive line. We have some offensive weapons. Chances are we're still going to have a quarterback who's going to have to deal with a bad offensive line. Yep. In which case... We don't have, you don't have a huge amount of cap space, about $50 million, which is not... I mean, you're still better than average, but you're You could sti- do some things with the you, offensive line there. But, but offensive linemen are like starting pitchers in the Major League Baseball. Like, you have to pay a premium for even an average guy. Right. Riley Reef was making, you know, a huge okay. amount of money. He's just a guy. All right, so here are the options now. We just talked about projecting Josh Rosen, you know, from college to the NFL with a normal pressure rate. He's an average guy. You look at Kyler Murray, our highest-graded quarterback ever on a per-snap basis when you adjust for situation. He comes out, he's obviously a mobile guy. So you say, okay, let me saddle him with this pressure rate. And it looks way, way better, right? You've got Kyler Murray in just a different stratosphere in terms of possible outcomes, both on a grade per snap basis, on an EPA per dropback basis, which includes sacks and runs, runs and scrambles, right? And yards per attempt. And those are, that's that's exciting because then you don't have to do as much rehabilitation. Yeah. You have the number one pick already. Yeah, and and one of the things we do is we adjust for you know depth of target, but also whether you were pressured, how many, how long you were in the pocket, and you know Murray, in a weird sense, Murray grades, he grades in that Baker Mayfield category, but he also on an EPA per dropback is a. It, projects a little bit better just because again like you said he's going to avoid sacks really well he's going to get out of the pocket and you know I've never seen a quarterback other than maybe Michael Vick get from zero to 60 as fast as Murray you know I I would say so so here's my take on on Murray in terms of if you're Arizona you're at the number one pick I think you either trade out of that pick or you take Murray because and, and that's I think something we've discussed and you probably even came up with that. But the thing is Yes, I came up with it. I copyrighted it, you can't say it. It's different than it's different than Mayfield, right? So I talked about this the other day. If I have the number one pick, I would have taken Mayfield no matter what I was offered. If I have the number one pick here, I have Rosen in my back pocket. I think I weigh how much somebody's offering me for Murray before I make a decision because I do think that there is a price at which going back and rehabilitating uh, Rosen is worth, you know, let's say you get a, a ransom for that number one pick. So that's, I think, the difference. Murray's a great prospect. I think we would probably like him even more than some of the people in our building. And, like, and if, if you're not offered a ton for that pick, you might as well go ahead and do it. Yeah. So let me explain. I, I agree with you. And here's the difference. 
to me, Murray is going to have to win more with his legs. So there is, you know, yeah. that Mayfield you can see is going to be able to be great from the pocket, right? Yeah. And ultimately, you know, that is probably the most valuable thing because you can sort of, you know, dictate everything from that vantage point. With Murray, he was great in every facet, right, from a production standpoint. But when it comes to making accurate throws from the pocket, that is where you see a little bit of the difference, about a 10% higher rate of uncatchable throws for Murray on straight drops where he stays in the pocket compared to Mayfield in their last year at OU. Um, And I'm actually adjusting for depth there. So, you know, I, I do see the hesitation, but if you can just get your stupid mind past the fact that he's shorter than average, yep. which I think you have to be able to do, you know, given that it's 2018, I think you can make the case for Murray. Here's the question I have for you. Are you just completely saying, look, I'm either trading it or I'm taking Kyler Murray, or would you consider taking, you know, Nick Bosa there? Uh, no, I see the problem with the Cardinals is they're not, they're not one great defensive player away from being being good. And like and and we'll just come out and say it. Last year we were really high on Seattle compared to the rest of the market. We're a little, probably going to be down on them a little bit. Despite that, that's still a tough division. The Rams have a stranglehold on that division. The Niners are going to be this year's Colts, et cetera, et cetera. Excuse me. The the Arizona Cardinals goal should not be to be the Giants and go from thir- three and thirteen to five and eleven. The Cardinals' goal should be three and thirteen, three and thirteen, and then twelve and four. Like, and the only way you get there is not by drafting an edge player, however good he is. You get there by by uh, getting a, a you know, tail distribution type player, and those players are quarterbacks. And so, for me, unless I can get unless I can get a ton of players who would make Rosen a tail distribution quarterback, I take what I would consider the best quarterback, yeah. which is which is Murray. Okay, so here's the great thing. Right now, if you looked at it, and, and obviously the narrative changed a lot last year from this time to when the draft happened. People came away around to PFS way of thinking, which is you're an idiot if you don't take Baker Mayfield here. Right now, the Cardinals could do both. They could trade down and get Kyler Murray yeah. based on sort of what you're hearing out there. Teams that need a quarterback are more enamored with Dwayne Haskins or Daniel Jones for or Drew Locke for God's sake or Drew yeah. Locke. So you could actually trade down yeah. and still get Kyler Murray, and then you could trade Rosen yeah. or. As I like to do, just keep them both. See which one you want to stick with and trade the other one. If you are not a dumb team, you can keep their value, right? You just have yeah. to make sure you don't have leaks and all these different When you things. can do what the Ravens did a season ago, which is trade back enough where a trade up, which is normally negative EV, on the cumulative side still is positive AB, right? right? So if you're the Cardinals and you trade out of that pick, let's say you trade out to like 13, 14, and it becomes pretty clear that Murray's going at six or seven, you can trade back to six or seven and still get the player you want. The thing that is concerning, and we've been you know hammering away at these quarterback projections, is from a straight drop back, if you make it a predominantly NFL offense, Murray is still projected to be pretty good, but it does go down. The distribution shift to the left. So the key is, and I think this is exactly 
what the Rams did with Goff. This is exactly what the Eagles to some degree did with Wentz, although it went a little bit the other way this year. You have to build that system around the quarterback. You cannot be, you know, you you, ha- you can't build the quarterback around the system anymore. So if they are going to take Murray, they have to know that this is an undertaking that is important. Uh, you know, it, basically it's it's Kingsbury and, and Murray being, you know, the Cardinals' future uh, moving forward. So just an interesting, uh, I think this will be extremely fun to watch. Mayfield had a lot of quote-unquote character concerns at this time last year that ended up being endearing to people at the end, especially now. Murray had a difficult time with that interview, right? Does he eventually, does it eventually come back around to where we find his personality and things like that endearing? Um, that's a good question, I think, for, you know, for the first to discuss in the future. It will be very interesting to see how his path mirrors Mayfield's because they each have, you know, everyone, it's easy to forget now because Mayfield has obviously done so well, but people were losing their mind about, I mean, Colin Coward was legitimately questioning whether this guy was like a, a complete fake. Yeah. Right. And that he didn't care about his teammates yeah. and all this stuff. So I don't know. I, there are a lot of people that are going to make mountains out of molehills um, with regards to Murray and uh, and what the Cardinals decide to do could greatly be impacted by that. It'd be crazy if they could trade down and still get him. Yeah, and I mean, the the issue is, as we talked about before, Nick, Nick Bosa is great, but that if the if the Cardinals came out of the first round with Nick Bosa paired him with Chandler Jones, people would be excited. People love edge players. People love defenders and all that kind of stuff. I can guarantee you that that is not going to be the means by which the Cardinals become good. Nope. If they improve next year, the quickest way is to take Josh Rosen from negative two to positive two. We will be back with you guys as usual on Thursdays. That's gonna We're not going to do the Monday morning ones anymore. So uh, hit us up if you guys have questions. We'll do our best to get them on here. And if you have specific things that you want to hear about from a draft uh, perspective, let us know as well. And get yourself uh, some PFF subscriptions so that you can follow along. See you guys. Peace. For all you foodies out there, I'm unwrapping a McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel. Ooh, look at this steak. And the juice running down the side. Got a little bit on the wrapper here. Mmm. And then the fluffy egg and real cheese folded over the side looking just so good. Mmm. Mmm. Grilled onions and a butter bagel, too. Thumbs up for McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel for breakfast. Love it. Mmm. Ba-ba-ba-ba. I participate in McDonald's.